Bibles are open to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, John chapter 15. There's a pew Bible in front of you. If you need it, it's on page 848 if you'd like to join us there. Or if you've got an electronic Bible, go ahead and power it up. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes today about a subject that's almost always associated with Christianity, but something that I think is tragically, tragically missing from the lives of so many believers, and that is the subject of joy. If there's one thing that's associated with the Christmas narratives of the Bible that I read through every year, this time of the year, sometimes more than once every year, it's the concept of joy. When the angel informed Mary that she was to be the bearer of the very Son of God. There in the first and second chapter of Luke, the Bible teaches us that one of the things Mary did was to magnify the Lord. And the scripture says that her spirit rejoiced that God had found favor with her. When the angel of the Lord brought to the shepherds good news of great joy, they indeed responded with joy when they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. When the wise men saw the celestial light, that great undefined navigational light, we often call it a star, but when they saw the star, the Bible stacking superlative onto superlative said that the wise man rejoiced with great Joy. I mean, if you can't find joy in the message of the manger, I'm pretty sure you're not going to find joy at all. Amen. And yet when it comes to joy, most people tend to ride a roller coaster. Uh, one minute they're joyful, and the next minute they're mournful. In fact, I'd imagine that many people, maybe even most people, question whether or not you can even live a life that's marked by perpetual, ongoing joy. But if you're a careful student of the Bible, you know that joy is designed by God to be a constant presence in every believer's life, provided the right conditions are met. One of those conditions is this continual abiding relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in case you missed it the first time, let's take a look at a couple of these statements from John chapter 15, beginning in verse number four. Words should be on the screen. Why don't you read them out loud together with me? John chapter 15, beginning in verse four, together. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see that there? You see the will of God very clearly stated that the presence of Jesus Christ is to abide in every believer. In fact, the presence of Jesus Christ does abide in every believer. And if Jesus is in you, does it not make sense that the very joy of Jesus has to be in you at the same time? How can the presence of Christ be inside of a believer and the joy of Jesus Christ not be inside of a believer? 
And Jesus makes it very clear, this incredible teaching about the vine and the branches and us drawing our strength and our life-giving substance directly from him and his presence within us is a presence that's marked by joy. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, not the joy that's defined by the world that's so often fleeting and, and mercurial, but my joy may be in you that your joy may be what? Say it out loud may be full. And it's interesting to me that Jesus speaks these words just a few hours before his death on the cross. I don't know about you, but if I knew that in a matter of hours I was going to die on a cross, I probably would be talking about a lot of things, but joy wouldn't be one of them. And yet, in the very shadow of his cross, Jesus speaks of unending joy. He does it within the context of his most important command, I think, in all of the Bible. We've talked about this from time to time in years past, but the most important command I think Jesus ever gives a disciple is this command to abide in him. I can think of a command that's any more important to a disciple than that. Abide in me. Why is that important? For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I'd say it's an important command. Abide in me and I in you. And if you abide in me, Jesus said, only then can you bear much fruit. And the reason that's true is apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the critical concept for a life that's marked by effective discipleship. And that makes it, I think, the most important spiritual principle that Jesus ever gives for us as it pertains to all of life. And what does it mean to abide? Well, to abide is to reside when we talk about abiding in Jesus, we're just, it's another way of referring to this daily communion that we're to have with Christ, living in daily relationship with Christ. I don't know about you, I talked to Jesus this morning. Talked to him a long time this morning. I talked to him every morning, some mornings more than others. But I hope you talked to Jesus this morning. Somebody asked one time, how do you know that the Lord is real? Well, I talked to him today. And he talked to me. And that happens because of this concept of abiding, this abiding relationship that we can have with the Lord. It comes automatically to every believer. Christ is going to abide in you if and when you trust him by faith and are saved. But the question on the table this morning is, are you abiding in him? See, it is quite possible for Christ to abide in you, but you not being abiding in him. And that's where we have to make some important daily decisions because if you fail to abide in Christ, even when Christ is abiding in you, you can still end up in a spiritual wasteland, even with Christ living on the inside of you. How many of you here this morning have known Jesus for some time and yet from time to time you find yourself dry, you find yourself barren, and here's what Oftentimes you're going to do, you're going to say, I just don't know where the Lord is. Well, I know where he is. And you should know where he is too. He hadn't left. Somebody has walked away from the Lord. Somebody's distanced themselves from the very presence of God. Somebody's not abiding in the vine. And here's the problem with that. Whenever that happens, whenever you're a believer and Christ is abiding in you, but something has happened and you're no longer faithfully abiding in him, not only will you end up in a spiritual wasteland,
But whenever that happens, one of the first things to go, one of the first casualties of that barrenness is joy. You lose your song. In fact, the presence of joy is one of the ways that you know that you're abiding in him. How do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? How about that unspeakable joy that we just sang about to begin the service today? Verse 11 is, I think, the climactic statement of this whole passage from John 15, 1 through the end of the unit, which is in verse number 11. It climaxes everything. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, which again implies that Christ's joy can be in us and we can still be joyless personally. When you're abiding in Christ, however, his joy becomes your joy. If Christ is in you, then so is the very joy of Christ. And this is what distinguishes joy from happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Everybody realize that? Amen? Now, sometimes we can press that contrast too far, and I don't really want to do that. <clears throat> because to be joyful is, in one sense, to be happy. But joy is more than the common emotion that we understand as happiness. Because happiness really is environmental. It's conditional. And that's why happiness comes and happiness goes because happiness is an emotion, whereas joy is a condition. Ooh, let me say that again. Happiness is emotion. Joy is a condition. And that's what separates the two. That's why they're not absolute synonyms. They don't mean the same thing. Again, Jesus is literally hours away from his cross. I mean, in just a few minutes, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane where the Bible says that his soul will be greatly troubled even to the point of death. He is not happy, but he still has a life that's filled with joy. And here he is just a few steps away from the garden talking about the fullness of joy on his way to the cross. So there has to be something different about this thing called joy over and against what most people tend to chase is that proverbial pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is happy. That's what everybody wants. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And nowhere is that ever taught in the Bible. What you should want to be is joyful. And there's a big difference. Several years ago, I was in England, and we were touring some old ruins of a monastery in the English Midlands. This monastery had been uh, dissolved by King Henry VIII in the mid-1500s, and it's now a lovely park. In fact, I was strolling through the park with Dr. Barlow, and the ladies had gone off somewhere, and, but I was interested in those ruins. And so he and I were kind of walking around, and we came to an open area because the roof was gone, and so the sunlight was coming through on the undergrounds where seats used to be or where places of worship used to be, and there was a group of ladies that were sitting there at a table. They had all these lovely English teapots, all kinds of shapes and all kinds of sizes that were there. And they attracted our attention. So we stopped, talked to the ladies for a few minutes and, and find out what they were doing. They had a sign there. And what they were doing was they were kind of an unusual thing, which is not something that I'm often inclined to do myself. But they were just trying to engage people in conversation, which I thought was a great thing. And the way that they were doing it was by encouraging pastors by to stop, take a lid off of whatever favorite teapot that they liked, and there were pieces of paper in there folded up that had questions on them. And then you opened it up and you read the question, 
And then they wanted to dialogue with you about the question. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll play the game. And so I reached in and I grabbed the piece of paper and I opened it up. And you know what, it, what the question was? Are you happy? That was the question. Are you happy? She said, well, what's the question? And I said, well, here it is. And she looked at me and she said, are you happy? And she looked at me and she said, well, are you happy? And you know what I said to her? It depends on the day. Now, is that an honest answer or what? And I said, today, I'm really happy because I get to be here with my good friend and we're here in this great place of history and we're here with other good friends and what's not to be uh, exciting about that, man? I, yes, I'm happy today, but I'm not always happy. And you know, we started engaging them in a conversation right there about the difference between joy and happiness. Right there on the spot. Now, I could tell by the way they were looking at us, they thought we were just totally crazy because we were trying to, because, and at one point I looked at it and said, here's the deal, I can be joyful all the time even though I'm not always happy and that's because I have the joy of Christ living on the inside of me. And there's a difference between the two. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness depends on circumstances. But the Bible teaches I can be happy when a storm blows the roof. I mean, I can be joyful when the storm blows a roof off my house or when I pull out of my driveway and leave the transmission in the driveway behind me. I'm not gonna be happy about that, but I still can be very joyful about it. It's this enduring condition of peace and contentment, of confidence and hope that comes from the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches me I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. The Bible teaches me greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible teaches me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I could be joyful all the time because of those reasons and so, so many more. The Bible says in, in Nehemiah 8 and the 10th verse, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your what? Say it out loud. Is your strength. And that suggests that without joy, we're particularly vulnerable to times of weakness, times of frustration, even times of failure. And that's why you want to keep your joy bucket full. But who would agree with me this morning that living in the world that we live in, the times that we live in, who would agree with me this morning? It's hard to keep your joy bucket full. Joy buckets leak, don't they? Because Christians get rusty. Rusty things develop holes and things with holes tend to leak. And one of the first things that can leak out of your life is the joy of life. Life has a bunch of joy busters in it. You know what they are, don't you? Let me give you three or four to just chew on as a reminder. Unloving people will sap your joy. Amen. Unloving people. The Bible does say that it's not good for a man to be alone, and I believe that with all my heart. Relationships are the very fabric of life, and you've got to have them. But the other side of that coin is, as wonderful as people are, they can drain the life out of you. They can just suck the sap right out of your life. Uh, and you all know what I'm talking about, man. You're cruising along, minding your own business, everything's great, and then along comes somebody, and all they gotta do is open their mouth, and they say something, and it just pierces you right to the heart. It's mean-spirited, it's negative, it robs you of your joy. 
Or maybe someone makes a decision that's going to affect you personally. Maybe somebody in supervision where you work, they make a decision and you, you, you don't see the need for that decision. You see it's something as a vindictive decision. It's gonna cost you negatively in some way. Whatever the case might be, unloving, inconsiderate people abound in the world and let it be said today, they can and often will rob you of your joy. A second thing that's a joy buster is unforeseen circumstances. Things you don't see coming that you wish had never come can rob you of your joy. Many people have lived through those kinds of things. I mean, in fact, you live long enough, you're gonna, have, you're gonna get hit from both directions oftentimes in life and you're never gonna see it coming. And you know what they say, I've said it a bunch of times and it's still true, it's not the hard punch that knocks you out, it's the one you don't see coming. And there's gonna be a lot of punches you don't see coming. And they're gonna knock you straight to the mat and joy will flood right out of your spirit. You'll skip along in life, things will be good. Then something will come out of left field. You'll get a pink slip at work, your job's being eliminated. Or you'll do like my brother, get this. I told you all the other night, last Christmas Eve, I tested positive for COVID-19. This Christmas Eve, my brother tested positive for COVID-19. that crazy? And so he's missing everything, just like I did. I said, I feel your pain. I do. I lived through all of that. Didn't see it coming. Or you get a notice on your phone. Somebody's trying to open a credit card in your name, and it wasn't you. And you got to go through all that mess or your daughter has been arrested, or your son's been wounded on the battlefield, or dad's had a stroke, things you just didn't see coming. You can't control any of that stuff, amen? You can't control it. But one thing you can control, even though things like that cause a heavy burden, even a weight of oppression that overshadows everything else in your world at the time, you can control how you respond to it. Because if you don't learn how to do that through this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, there'll come a day when the music dies and you'll lose your song and it'll be because of things you didn't see coming. Unforeseen circumstances can rob you of your joy. So thirdly, will unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. All of us know the disappointment of unrealized, unmet expectations. And I've done this before. Sometimes we can set the bar way too high. People will have totally unrealistic expectations about their own life. I mean, and I'm, I'm a big believer in setting the bar high. Just be wise about how you set the bar. And not only be wise about how you set the bar in terms of the expectations for your own life, but in terms of what you expect out of the life of others. Because sometimes people will set the expectation bar incredibly high for you. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you this as a pastor, I have feet of clay. And everybody that's been born of a woman outside of Jesus Christ comes into this world with feet of clay. And so be very careful about setting these high expectations for other people that are totally out of step with reality because what'll happen is when they're not met, it can be very painful because you'll sometimes feel like your marriage, your life, your family, career, it hadn't measured up. And that's because not necessarily it's not good. It's just because you've set the bar out in the stratosphere 
So unmet expectations can rob you of your joy. I think the disciples were very much grappling with this as Jesus was teaching them this. Because the disciples had incredibly high expectations of the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't they? I mean, they left everything to follow a Savior. But the problem was they made an assumption that the man that they'd given up their jobs to follow, their livelihoods to follow, their hometown to follow, they'd given up everything in life to follow this guy, anticipating that he was going to be crowned a political king in this life. And then he died. A scoundrel's death. And what did they do? Scattered like the wind. And why did they scatter? Because they lost their joy. They lost their joy. And why did they lose their joy? Unmet expectations. And sometimes that happens to us as well. And then finally, unholy decisions will sap you of your joy. Unholy decisions, which is another way of saying sin can rob you of your joy. And that's why you don't want to do it. You want to live holy. You want to repudiate sin. You want to learn to look at sin and respond to sin in the same way Christ himself did. Because sin in a believer's life will inevitably rob them of their joy. And the reason that sin is a joy buster because it breaks communion with Christ. It breaks your fellowship with the Lord. Now, it's not going to get you kicked out of heaven if you've generally been, uh, genuinely been born again. No one will ever snatch you out of the hand of Christ the Son or God the Father. You're eternally secure. But fellowship can be broken. And this is why David, I mean, think about David. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, and then his sin became public when the prophet stood and nailed him to the wall saying, you are the man. David knew he'd been found out. And what does he do? Well, at first he loses his joy. He goes down in the dumps. I think he'd lost it, frankly, long before then. But then he writes the magnificent 51st Psalm in the wake of all of that. And here's what he says to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then notice what he says in verse 12. Restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. What had sapped him of his joy? Sin. Sin. Robbed him of his strength, and he knew it. So these are the kinds of things that often happen. And maybe some or even all of these things have entered into your life over the past year, past two years. I mean, with all the mess that we have lived through and are still living through, honestly, it's easy to lose your joy. And if that's the case, maybe you're here this morning trying to find it again. Well, you've come to the right place because I've got a word for you too. And that is a reminder that the Bible teaches us in the form of a command, rejoice in the Lord always. That's right. Now, why would... Why would the Apostle Paul give us a command that we were not able to keep? Rejoice in the Lord. What? Always. Oh, you didn't get it. Again, I will say, rejoice. See, Paul knew we're hard-headed. So he repeats it and compounds it in a way that Paul often does with language so that we can understand this is the will of God for our life.
And so as we conclude this morning, let me just give you four simple and very practical ways that can help you recover your lost joy if indeed you enter into times where it's gone. First, be active, be active, be active and stay engaged. You know what the tendency most people, most believers have when they lose their joy? What's the the first tendency when you lose your joy and you're down in the dumps and things aren't going your way? Withdrawal, withdrawal, withdrawal. It's almost like this high school game that people play with one another when they get their feelings hurt. The first response is, I ain't talking to them. You know, I'm gonna walk right by them, not having anything to do with them. And so we, this is, all this is is self-pity. It's a pity party. But most people tend to respond that way even in their relationship with the Lord. They disengage. And here's the problem with disengaging. People do it at the worst possible time. The very time that you disengage from fellowship with the Lord, fellowship with other believers, is exactly the time you should be doing it. That's when you should be engaging. That's when you should be ramping it up and amping it up, not the other way around. You need to stay engaged in two ways. First of all, you need to stay engaged physically. Don't hit the couch and pull the Afghan up and stay there for the next 48 hours. Turn Netflix off and forget the running marathon of 24, whatever it is you watch over and over and over again. Don't do it. Your body needs sunlight. Your body needs exercise. It needs movement. God designed you to keep moving. Endorphins need to be flooding your soul and your spirit and your body. Theodore Roosevelt was fond of saying, get action, do things. Don't fritter away your time. Seize the moment. Man was never intended to become an oyster. Stay physically engaged, but more to the point, stay spiritually engaged. People go through major life disappointments. They bail out on church. They bail out on the Bible. They bail out on prayer. They bail out on worship. Major mistake in all caps. You say, well, pastor, I just, I, I just don't believe it. If I don't feel like I need to be doing those things, I probably shouldn't do them. Where'd you get that in the Bible? I don't care. You know, I love you. I don't care what you feel. You don't let feelings drive obedience to God. Here's the choice. I will obey God no matter how I feel. That's what makes God smile. And see, when you determine I'm going to do that, that's when these wonderful, refreshing showers of blessing come right back into the joy bucket. And they begin to fill it up once again. But you got to stay engaged. You can't bail out. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and 22, a joyful heart is good medicine. So do whatever it takes to get it. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. The way to a joyful heart is obedient worship, singing when you don't feel like singing, praising when you don't feel like praising, reading the Bible when you just couldn't care less whether you opened it or not. Talk to the Lord. Tell him how you're feeling. And God will bless. So stay engaged and stay faithful. Y'all got it? Say amen. Amen. Second, be generous. Be generous and invest in others. I'm telling you, you want the joy to come flooding into your soul? It's predicated. Joy is predicated not on what you receive. You just think that you're feeling joyful because of all those wonderful shiny toys you got this Christmas. 
I think Judy was getting mad at me yesterday because I played the giver. I mean, I got the presents out and I was handing them out. I was having the best time ever. And I just kept throwing my stuff over there on the side. I, I, honest to Pete, I didn't even care about opening it. I was having so much fun watching what everybody else was doing. Y'all know I'm a grandfather now. I, you know, I, I can't even get started on how much fun, because I missed all of that stuff last year. I didn't miss it this year. But I just kept throwing up, and right before we went to bed, throwing, I didn't throw up. I just, <laughs> I threw that stuff over. Oh, we did have a stomach bug going around, but it wasn't me. Lord, you know, I don't want it either. I threw that stuff over, and before we went to bed last night, Judy said, your stocking is still in here. You didn't even go through it, and it didn't even bother me because I had gotten such a blessing at being the giver yesterday. And I tell you, that's what brings joy. It's, you know, it's very difficult to be joyful and stingy at the same time. You can't do it. Think about all those movies you watched, all those books that you read. How many really well-to-do people are reflected positively in those movies? Ebenezer Scrooge, he was loaded, and his name says it all, right? Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life, that warped, frustrated old man who had everything the world could offer, most joyless person on the planet. Our, our Clark Griswold's boss, who gave him like the subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club for an annual bonus. See, all these people and so many more. Lady Catherine de Berg on Pride and Prejudice. Man, I just scored major points with the ladies right there. <laughs> I see a hand in the back going up right now. All these people... They're all warped and frustrated and they have everything the world says you need in order to be happy and they're not that. See, Scrooge becomes this lovable guy at the end of the story when he starts giving stuff away, right? Now, all of a sudden, we love Scrooge in the last chapter, but for the first several chapters, we don't like him at all. Why? Because he's all about himself. And see, that's a very biblical thing. Because Jesus said, give, and it will be what? Given to you. And I believe that when you're generous with God and when you're generous with others, one of the things God tends to give back to you is the joy of Jesus. That's part of where it comes from. So if you need your joy bucket filled, look around you. And when you do, you'll find somebody that needs uplifting, somebody that needs encouraging, somebody that needs help of some kind. Somebody that needs just a friend to sit down and listen to them over a cup of coffee. I'm just saying, if you want to reap a harvest of joy, learn to sow joy into the lives of others. A third thing that you can do is learn to be grateful and to count your blessings. I mean, as you're looking around you, take a blessing inventory. I mean, when you, when you do a thoughtful survey around you from time to time, yeah, you'll find a lot of hurting people, but you'll also find how blessed you are. And so do that from time to time. All these wonderful ways that God has poured into your life, not a bit of it deserved, not a bit of it deserved. All of it comes by the grace of God. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from above.
from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The politician, Roman politician Cicero, wrote a lot about gratitude. He called it the parent of all other virtues. And so in the mind of the great politician philosopher of Rome, this idea of genuine virtue in a man or a woman began with gratitude. So you can't disconnect joy from gratitude. Joyful people are always grateful people. The Bible says it, 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I submit to you here today, the command there, rejoice always, is predicated on the next two things that Paul says. If you want to rejoice always, you need to first pray without ceasing and then learn to give thanks in all things. And when you start praying without ceasing, even when you don't feel like it, which is what praying without ceasing means, you pray without ceasing, you take a blessing inventory around you, and you learn to be thankful. And when you do those two things, obeying the first command to rejoice always will not be a problem whatsoever. You won't even have to remind yourself to do it. You'll just find yourself living consistently in the joy of Jesus. And then finally, be focused and live eternally. You'll also have a really hard time living in perpetual joy if your focus is only on the here and now. I'm thankful for this world that God created. I'm thankful that God created me. I'm thankful that God put me here in this world. And I'm thankful to have had the privilege of being able to enjoy so much of it over the last many decades. But you have to be very, very careful. And I'm also very thankful for the people with which God has placed me, uh, placed around me to do life with. But having said all that, you do have to be very, very careful about loving the world too much. And I think a lot of us as believers fall into that trap. We, we love the world more than we love the thought of the eternal kingdom. And I think a part of a growing believer's life is learning to be more attached to the eternal kingdom than you are to this world. Sometimes much of our unhappiness is due to the fact that we're just too attached to this world. And the world is a broken place. We're here, God has a plan for us, God has a mission for us. But there is a reason that the biblical writers are constantly pointing their readers beyond the pressures of the day. They're constantly directing their focus beyond this world to the hope of eternity, to the inheritance, the Bible says, that the Lord has for us, an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade away, one that God is keeping for us in the eternal kingdom. So never forget the primary reason that we can rejoice today is precisely because of the hope that we have for tomorrow. In one sense, it really doesn't matter what happens to us here today because we know that a better day is coming in a better place. The land that is fairer than day, the old song says. 
which by faith we can see from afar, where the Father waits over the way to prepare for us a dwelling place there in what the old Christians used to call the sweet by and by, where there's a beautiful shore upon which a Savior with nail-scarred hands is extending them our way. And one day, will welcome us there forever. See, it's precisely when you forget that that you become susceptible to losing your joy. So never forget, if you're a believer, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And God is not in the business of taking names out of his eternal book. And that's why the Bible says, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. There's another example of Paul's compounding language for emphasis. I mean, rejoice in the Lord always is good enough for me. But let me say it again. Rejoice, and then he gives us the motivation. He gives us the reason in verse five. We quote verse four, but we stop at verse four. But what does Paul say next? The Lord is at hand. That's the motivation for rejoicing in the Lord always, even when we're in the midst of brokenness. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. You all believe the Lord is at hand? You believe Jesus could come at any moment? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ? Well, he could. And when he does, the Bible says, we shall see him as he is. We shall know him. We shall be made like him. And we shall be forever with him in what the Bible calls the new heaven and the new earth. That's our motivation to rejoice always. One way or another, either by my death or by the coming of Jesus, I am going to be where he is. So rejoice. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For our light and momentary troubles are creating in us an endurance that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For that which we see is temporary, but the unseen is eternal. And this is the key for living a life of constant joy. You better learn to see what you cannot see, the new heaven and the new earth, and better yet, a Savior who's waiting there for you. If you know Jesus by faith, truth be told, the joy of Jesus is already in you. Sometimes you just need a fresh filling. So be active and stay engaged. Be generous and invest in others. Be grateful. Count your blessings be focused, live for eternity. But more than anything else, here's the key. Abide in Christ. Just abide in Jesus. Every day abide in him. Because the only way to guarantee a life of constant joy is to abide in the vine.